Well, good morning. Good morning, Journey Church. Wow, it's great to see everybody out this morning. And uh, on this uh, kind of a dreary, getting better, I think, out there this uh, fall morning. But we're glad you've chosen to join us today in worship. And we appreciate um, uh, Crystal sharing her story. I always love to hear uh, what God's doing in her life, the life of all of us. But we're glad that you've come. If you're joining us online, it's great to have you share with us as well. And we hope that God has continued to move in your life too. Well, guys, we began a series last week. We're going to continue that. We're calling it Released. And before we jump in too far, I want to ask you a question. What do you do when you really blow it? What do you do when you really blow it? I'm not talking about the little mistakes we make every day. I'm talking about the biggies. I'm talking about the ones that you make and you are just shattered. You don't know what to do with it. You don't know where to turn. Uh, You know, it's impacted your life and it feels like this could be the turning point. This feels like this could be something that you deal with the rest of your life. I don't know how far you've moved in a direction like that or how, how, um, how you know, destructive some of your decisions may have been. Yeah, but if you have ever done anything like that that you know is going to really make a difference in your life, you know there's an impact, there are repercussions that come from that. You know, maybe you've done something wrong or maybe you've hurt someone deeply or you've caused them to be hurt in some way. Basically, what we're talking about is when your actions create some guilt in your life and you're not sure what you do with it. How do you get rid of that guilt? In this series called Release, we're talking about how that God can relieve us and release us from some of the challenges in our life. Last week, we talked about doubt, which is a big part of many people's life. They struggle with doubt about God. Does God care about them? Uh, Does God really love them? You know, is their relationship with the Lord right? And, you know, uh, can we really trust God? Those are great questions, right? We're going to talk about some more issues. We're going to talk about fear. How do we deal with fear? We're going to talk about anxiety. Those are some of the things that we want to be released from, and God is gracious, and He does that. But today, we're going to be looking at the question of how do we move from guilt to forgiveness? And that's a big question. It really is both for believers and non-believers. You see, we as Christians, we understand and we know what sin is. And whenever we sin, we feel the shame and the guilt that comes from it. And for non-believers, I think that guilt is one of those things that may even prevent them from ever even considering that they could have a relationship with God. See, Satan has a way of just kind of beating us. He wants to keep us guilt ridden, defeated, hopeless, struggling, wondering if God cares, wondering if we can ever be redeemed. God, you know, God wants to lift us out of that. And today we're going to see that guilt actually, while it can be a result of sin, can also be a strong catalyst to move us into a right relationship with Jesus. And I'm excited about sharing this message today. God kind of put this on my heart, and I believe that we all need to hear it. And so we're going to be jumping into the book of John. Now, it's kind of odd because Last week, we took most of our scripture texts about doubt out of the book of John. And today, we're going to be looking at John, and we're going to do that several times. I think John realized that there was a disconnect between us and God in a way that we needed to be encouraged. We need to be reminded and address some really practical things in life. And so today, he's going to address the issue of guilt. And we're going to do it through John chapter 8 and the story of Jesus and, a, and an individual that he came in contact with who was struggling with some guilt. Let's read together John chapter 8. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. 
In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So let's talk a look at the context of the scripture. This is a point in Jesus' ministry where he's extremely popular, where people are flocking to hear him. And this particular day, there's a large crowd of people who have gathered together. He's in the temple courts. He's teaching there. It's a major feast time. So that means people from out of town had come in and the place was probably packed when all of a sudden, in the middle of all this, dragging a, 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 a woman who was probably scantily dressed, we don't know, but in the middle of that were a group of religious men who come bursting into the service, dragging this woman and throwing her before Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounded like a setup to me. It sounded like a little strange situation. It would be like on Easter Sunday morning when the church has this big crowd, when the preacher's stepping up to, to, to preach and suddenly a group of their leaders come dragging a woman in, in front of this people, everybody, and demanding that the preacher deal with her adultery in front of everybody. I mean, that would be a really awkward situation, right? Can you imagine having to be a part of that? I'm sure everybody in the room was, was embarrassed and uh, it was a really awkward moment. And, and the timing and the setting is really suspicious. And, and there's a couple of questions that have to be asked. How in the world did a, a group of religious men all get together and watch a couple commit adultery? That's odd in itself. There's another huge question that we always want to know, and that is, where was the man? Where's the man? Adultery is not a solo activity. Where's the other guilty party at? You know, where's the guy? And why hasn't he been brought in as well, you know? Well, you know, looking at the whole situation, the, the, it was an awkward situation, and the woman sure seemed to be guilty. She, didn't, she wasn't even, you know, defending herself, seemingly. No one could deny the sin. It was as bad as it could probably get. The woman had broken the seventh commandment, one of the big ten, right? You shall not commit adultery. And the punishment of the law demanded that she would be stoned to death. It was a serious punishment. And in those days, they didn't have... Uh, two-year, five-year, 10-year waiting period for a trial. It happened immediately, and typically they would be taken out, they'd be stoned that very same day. It's kind of interesting that the Jewish law during this time demanded that the man would be put to death by strangulation. And they would supposedly put a towel around his neck, one man would get a hold of one end of the towel in one direction, another man on the other, and they would suffocate him while he was standing up to his knees in dung. I mean, that's kind of a specific way to kill somebody, isn't it? That would be pretty miserable all the way around. But the man wasn't even there to be found. He hadn't even been brought before the crowd. And so the woman basically catches everybody's attention and everybody's condemnation. She was obviously guilty. She was embarrassed to death, I'm sure. Now, John notes here already that this actually was a trap that had been set for Jesus so that they could accuse him. And it really was a very well-set trap because there wasn't a lot of win in this. There didn't seem to be any good answer for what was going on. For example, if Jesus had had mercy and said, let her go, then he would be violating the Mosaic law. He would prove himself to be a false prophet, and then he could be subject to being stoned if he disobeyed the law. So that was, that was a bad, it was the obvious, but it was the bad choice to make. If on the other hand, he affirmed the law and the death penalty, then he would be violating Roman law, which governed the Jews at the time, and limited their ability to pass a death sentence. Even his own death sentence had to be run past Pilate. Remember that uh, whenever he was put to death. 
And not only that, it would be really harsh judgment to give. Jesus was a friend of sinners. He was loving people, showing mercy and grace. And yet this woman had been brought before him and he had to decide what we're going to do with her. He couldn't condemn her. He couldn't condone it. What was he going to do there? Jesus was between a rock and a hard place. Uh, and this woman's future was hanging in the balance here. And all the eyes of everyone was on him. I'm sure innocent people were going, yeah, what would you do, Jesus? What would you do in a moment like that? And it really seems to be a no-win situation. What is Jesus going to do? And you know, at the moment, Jesus didn't really do or say anything. Let's pick up the scripture. He's brilliant, obviously. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. So Jesus didn't reply at all to them, which I'm sure they took as a sign that he was on the ropes and he was about to go down, but he didn't say anything. Instead, he just bent down and he started writing in the dust. And besides where was the man, the other question in this story that all we people want to know is what did he write? And no one has any idea what he wrote in the dust. Maybe Jesus wrote down the commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. Maybe that was it. Or maybe he wrote down um, another commandment, you shall not bear false witness. That would be a pretty sobering thing, wouldn't it? Or maybe he wrote down, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, which is another of the commandments which may have been going through some of the guy's mind as they looked at this woman at the time. They were human and lust for themselves. Someone said maybe it was a list of her accusers and the women that they had been with themselves they committed adultery with. We don't know. But whatever it was, at first the accusers felt like that they had Jesus in a corner. But then Jesus made a very simple statement that unnerved them all. He said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to cast the stone at her. This too was in the law, by the way. The law said that if you brought someone in to accuse them and they were guilty, then you had to be the one to throw the first stone, proving that you were not guilty of the very same thing. Have you ever noticed that when people accuse others that many times they secretly are guilty of the same thing and they, are, they feel guilty and they project that guilt on other people who might not even be as guilty as they are. But in this story, it's likely that some of these guys were guilty. We don't know the character of those guys. Maybe they were guilty of the same thing themselves or maybe they were innocent, but just very judgmental, which is a sin in itself, right? But either way, Jesus had taught them that lust was the same thing as committing adultery. So if a man or a woman had ever lusted, which we all have, right? They were all guilty except one, and that was Jesus. Jesus alone was the only one in the group, only one in the room who could have thrown the first stone, but he didn't. He just lowered his head and he wrote some more in the dust. Simple statement, right in the dust again. Let's pick up the story. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time the older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. Do you notice that the older men went away first? Maybe it was because they had more guilt themselves or maybe it was because they were a little bit wiser and they saw that they had been outfoxed in this, uh, in this question at all. But they began to slip away one by one. They began to lay their stones down and kind of probably back out of the picture until when Jesus looked back up, there was no one left, only Jesus and the woman. 
And the scripture says, Jesus straightened up and he, and, he, and he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. No one. You know, there are two facets of guilt that we deal with that need to be addressed. And the first one is the perception of other people. See, guilt is one of those things that we have that, that makes us feel ashamed that other people know our failures. We know, and we assume because we know they know, that everybody knows what we have done. We feel judged, we feel condemned. In many cases, we probably are, but much of that is inside of us, in our hearts. But you know what, as difficult as that is, it's really the least important part of the two. Because what people think isn't nearly as important compared to what God thinks and what God knows. And besides that, in a world that openly condemns, uh, excuse me, in a world that openly condones sin and even flaunts sin openly, there is a, a decreasing level of judgment in our world today. Our world doesn't recognize the sin that God does. The sexual sins like adultery, fornication, homosexuality, all sexual sin today that the Bible sternly condemns is so common in our world that the world doesn't even condemn a person for doing it anymore. And so the standards have lowered a great deal, but God's standards have not lowered at all. We may sin, the world may say that's normal, that's fine, that's acceptable, but God said that's not, that's not right anymore. My word stands, it doesn't change. And that's the second facet of guilt. When we break God's laws, we are guilty whether the world recognizes it or not. Even if the world condones our sin or ignores our sin, God doesn't. And the guilt we have before God is much more important than the guilt that we often feel uh, from other people. You know, the Bible uh, distinguishes uh, or talks about sorrow. And the Bible distinguishes between two types of sorrow, worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, it says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See, worldly sorrow is only concerned about being caught, and once that is escaped, once we kind of got past the moment, or once it's ignored by everybody and you don't feel guilty because of what people think, then many people don't worry about their guilt anymore. It's kind of put aside. We're not, we don't feel responsible anymore. And as the world gets worse, uh, th there's less and less pressure to live a godly life. In fact, to be honest with you, there's more pressure to embrace sin today than there is to condemn sin, isn't it? It's amazing the world we live in today. We're called intolerant. We don't embrace the sin of the world around us. Understand that, there's th that, 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 godly or that worldly sorrow is temporary and probably is easily escaped. But godly sorrow focuses on the real issue. And that is our guilt and our shame and our um, struggles before a holy God. The Bible says that godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. With godly sorrow, we are convicted of our sin and we repent, which then leads us to a change of heart and a change of action. It's kind of interesting that with this woman, Jesus deals first of all with the guilt and shame that the woman had felt whenever she was brought before others, that human side that we all have when we know that people know what we've done or when our sin is exposed to the world. Jesus deals with that because that was front and center at the moment. 
But after forcing them to think about their own sin, there are accusers left, and they left the woman and Jesus alone. And you know what? By all rights, Jesus could have stoned her himself because he was sinless. He really could have been the one who took, threw the first stone, right? And it really would have been lawful. But while he was, but he would not condemn her sin, but he also didn't come to condone her sin. And I think that's important to note here that Jesus didn't just pat her on the back and say, well, honey, that's okay. We all make mistakes, right? It wasn't that big a deal. And look, all those guys are long, are gone. He didn't do any of that. He didn't come to condemn us, but he also didn't come to condone us. And this Jesus in his wisdom said, then neither do I condemn you. He declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Another version says, go and sin no more. You know, guilt is a horrible thing to carry around in your life. Guilt causes you to feel, uh, to feel, think less of yourself. It causes you to kind of give up on yourself sometimes and to give up on God. Guilt leads us to discouragement and stress and bitterness and physical illness. Some guilt comes from actual wrong that we actually do, you know? Uh, we treated someone unfairly. We caused someone personal injury. We, we steal something or we lie to someone or we cheat or we hurt somebody. Or maybe our guilt comes from having violated our own moral standards, what we know is wrong. Or maybe it's hopefully our moral standards or God's moral standards as well, his values. And we know that we have violated them. And that would include all of us because while we may do well treating other people okay, we know that when we relate to God that we are all sinners, right? Maybe we feel guilty that leads us to shame, which is kind of the feeling of that we, many people walk around with. But guys, there's amazing news, and that is that Jesus can take your guilt and your shame away. He can remove all of that. How does Jesus treat guilty sinners? I think I love this story because there's some incredible lessons that we can learn as we move from guilt to forgiveness. Here's the first one that we all need to know, and that is judge yourself before you judge other people. Judge yourself before you judge others. We often see sin in the lives of other people, and we don't see it in our own lives. In other words, we need to be honest with ourselves, that every one of us are truly guilty when we stand before a perfect God, and we deserve death for our sin. Now, it may be actual sin that we have done in our actions, or it may be in the heart. Jesus said we can commit lust in our heart. That's committing adultery in the eyes of God. But either way, we're guilty, even if we don't feel guilty. You know, in that room, everybody in the room was guilty. Everybody except Jesus. The accusers, the woman, the spectators, everybody was guilty. And I've oftentimes wondered in that room, which was filled with many people, whenever Jesus asked the woman where your accusers are and she said there was no one there, I wonder if the entire room emptied. Not just the accusers, but all the spectators well, because they kind of got the message and maybe it was just Jesus and the woman when it was over. We're all guilty, even if we don't feel it. But the accusers didn't realize it until they were challenged. So we need to judge ourselves before we judge others. Secondly, put the rocks down. Put the rocks down. Since we're all guilty, we don't have any right to think about it punishing other people. You know, maybe it's not literally, we're not carrying around with rocks to stone somebody, but we all have the accusations, we all have the thoughts in our head that if someone has done something and we know they're a little bit worse than we are. What we need to do is drop the rocks and walk away from that because none of us have the right 
to judge others or punish others. Here's the one I love. At the end of the day, it will only be you and Jesus. At the end of the day, it will only be you and Jesus. Obviously, everybody, all the accusers left in the room. But at the end of the day, in the end of life, no one's going to be there to accuse you. No one's going to be there to defend you. And nobody's going to be there to deflect from you. No, you're never going to be able to say, oh, I was better than so-and-so. It's only going to be you and Jesus at the end of the day. Number four, Jesus doesn't punish. He was punished for you. He was punished for you. Jesus, I'm not condemning you. I'm not condemning you. You know, he said there's no greater love at one point than a man to lay down his life for a friend. We can find forgiveness only through the blood of Jesus Christ. We can't find it in our own goodness in any other source. One way to the Father. And you know what? We don't need to kill ourselves and we don't kill one, need to kill one another because no matter what we do, it's not gonna change any situation at all. Jesus doesn't punish, he was punished for us. Number five, Jesus forgives sin and he removes guilt. Forgives the sin, removes the guilt. We don't work for our salvation, but we work from our salvation. We don't do good works trying to get saved, but we do good works because we are saved. Jesus doesn't tell the woman, hey, you need to go get your act together and whenever you do, you live a pure life, then you can be forgiven. Now, Jesus forgave her at the moment. He forgave her. We don't get all the information of the story, but obviously Jesus sees some repentance in this woman. He tells her, you are forgiven, but now go and sin no more. And her forgiveness will change her life. Wouldn't you love to know the rest of the story, who this woman was. Do we ever hear from her again? We don't know that, but I got a feeling that her life was totally transformed from that moment forward, and she was a follower of Jesus. And we'll probably meet this woman in heaven. That will be an interesting thing, won't it? Because her forgiveness will change her life. And let's take a moment here to talk about two issues that I think come up when we think about leaving our guilt and, and accepting forgiveness. And the first one is forgiving ourselves. You know, I think sometimes it's easier for us to embrace God's forgiveness than it is for us to forgive ourselves. We may know that we are forgiven by God. We've been assured of that, but we still feel guilty. And what we're doing in essence is we're saying, you know, Jesus, you judged me. You found me guilty, but you died for me and you declared me forgiven. But me, I've overthrown your verdict. And I've decided that I'm not forgiven and I'm not uh, I'm not clean, but now I am unforgiven and I'm guilty still. And so I'm going to spend the rest of my life feeling guilty to make up for what I've done. You know, that sounds really humble, doesn't it? But in reality, that's pretty haughty on our part. Because if Jesus forgives you, you are forgiven. You don't need so much to forgive yourself. You need to accept his verdict and move forward with freedom. You've been released from the guilt into freedom, and it would be foolish to return back there. The second issue is that you may be forgiven, but you still have to deal with the natural consequences of your actions. You know, there are many people who are in prison, committed horrible crimes. They've given their life to Christ, but they're paying for their crime for the rest of their life. And some of our actions, some of our sins bring those kind of consequences and we have to deal with them. Forgiven sins may have consequences that we suffer through, but we should not equate those consequences with the lack of forgiveness from God. 
There might be ongoing repercussions that we have. Other people may not forgive us. The hurt in their life may be so strong that, 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 there, that there's not reconciliation. But the most important thing is that we understand the amazing grace of God. In Romans chapter 8, it says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And so the solution is to repent of whatever that action, that sin was, then embrace and live in that freedom and ask God to help you deal with the consequences that may come from it. Number six, Jesus lifts all condemnation. Her accusers brought this woman to condemn her, to judge her, to punish her. But Jesus lifts that and he says to her, go. You're free to go. Leave all your guilt, all your shame, your brokenness, your burden, your past. Leave your current lifestyle. Go. Do something different. Put all that in the past and go. Don't look back. Do not look back. Do not return. You've been saved. You've been forgiven to go forward. You know, Jesus didn't gloss over what she had done or how she had had lived. He recognized that she was sinning, had lived a life of sin but he told her to go and sin no more. Guys, remember this, who you were is not who you are in Christ. And so you need to go now and live who you are. You are a child of God, live that way. I think that's what he was saying to her. Here's another thing that's interesting is that Jesus restored her dignity. He restored her dignity to her and in the hearing of others, if there were others still there. How people treat us, can oftentimes make us feel guilty, even if we know we've been forgiven by God. She had been drug in, she had been accused and humiliated and judged, but the way that Jesus talked to her restores her personal dignity. I think it's interesting in the text that Jesus said to her, woman. Now that word doesn't mean a lot to us. In fact, it's just a reference to her gender probably. And it seemed a little bit harsh, a little bit generic if we say woman to someone. But what's interesting is that the word that Jesus used is the same word that he used to refer to his mother, Mary. Later on, he said woman. And that's not a term, a generic term. It's a a term of kindness and affirmation and respect. That this woman was now a new woman with value and dignity. And he, he wanted her to know that. And then the last thing that we need to know is we have to give our sin and guilt to Jesus. We have to bring it to him. This woman was drugged to him, drugged and thrown before him. But it's so much better if we come voluntarily. One day we're all going to stand before him. For those who have called him Lord on this earth, there's going to be no condemnation. In fact, Jesus is going to rather say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter you into the joy of your Lord. And that's what we want to hear. That's exactly the words that we want to hear from our Lord. You know, we talked today about guilt, and I don't know how this has hit you. Maybe this is one of the issues in your life. Maybe you're a believer and you struggle with your guilt. You struggle with the things that you've done, some big things in the past. Maybe they were hurtful to people. Maybe it was just outright sin, or maybe it's just the awareness, the increasing awareness of how sinful we are and the things that we do and how they hurt God. But I would encourage you to take your guilt and lay it at the foot of the cross. Jesus is not interested in punishing you for it. He's interested in, 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 in forgiving you. He's already been punished for your guilt. And guilt is just one of those barriers that Satan builds in our lives to keep us from being effective for Jesus. 
It's one of those barriers that he throws up that, that we have a hard time getting over. Because as long as we're kept down in that way, we're never going to find the freedom that, that, that God longs to have. Jesus wants to lift that burden and set us free. And when we're released from our burdens and set free, we can do so much more and we can enjoy the life that God's given us. So I would challenge you today, I would hope that if you have struggled with the guilt in your past, or if you struggle on a daily basis with living the life that you want to live, there's only one place to take that. People are not going to help you with it, you know? They're going to either tell you it's okay, everybody does it, or some of them are going to hold you accountable and condemn you for it. But at the end of the day, it's you and Jesus. It's you and Jesus. My hope is that you will live free, unburdened, released in a way that only God can give you. That's my prayer for you today.